Several years ago, uh, I went on a bike tour with a friend of mine that I actually met here in Edinburgh. I was a student at the uni a long time ago uh, studying. He was a fresher. I was a first-year postgrad, and we would walk home from P's and G's. Um, his name is Rob Lilwall. He wrote a book called Cycling Home from Siberia, and he used to attend here regularly. And so <clears throat> Rob was on this epic journey from Siberia through Australasia back to England. It's a great book. You should read it. And I think, um, he's a friend, of course, uh, but um, he kept inviting me to come because actually he was desperately lonely on the trip. And I was somebody who commuted to work on my bicycle and I thought, maybe I could, you know, I could have a little adventure with him. So, so I joined this bike tour and, uh, you know, he had gone through the Himalayas. He actually biked through Afghanistan during the war. He's a real, he's really low key. He's this really low-key guy who's done some amazing things, actually. And, um, but of course, I joined him from the really hard bit in Greece and Italy. <laughs> so, so, um, so I join him, and we get on our bikes, and we're going. And he was in incredible shape. I mean, he could just like go up and down these mountains, and I was just struggling. I mean, every night I could hardly get into bed and get out. I mean, we were, you know, we were camping wild and stuff. And, and uh, I mean, literally one time we were going up a mountain, he pulled off and began reading a book. I just kept cycling, and about two or three hours later, he just like blew by me. <laughs> I think he was reading T.S. Eliot's Four Quartets. So there we go, bicycle reading. It was probably the hardest holiday I've ever been on. I just wasn't in the sort of shape I needed to be, and it just brutalized me. But it's also the most fun holiday I've ever been on, except for the ones I've been on with my wife. <laughs> Those have been the most fun ever. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, they, uh, but it was an amazing adventure, and part of what made it deeply satisfying was how hard it was how difficult it was. And what we're talking about tonight is sometimes God calls us to do something hard. Um, the, the title of tonight's talk is Wrestling Faith, and, and I just want to be clear from the outset that there are seasons when God comes to us and He gives us rest from the loneliness or the heartache, and He just brings us by the still waters, and He helps, and He just restores our souls. And, and that's really important. That's a great thing. But there are other seasons of life when God comes to us and He challenges us. We can no longer run, we can no longer hide, we can no longer manipulate or manage our circumstances, and if we're going to grow and we're going to become the person God wants us to be, we're going to have to have some courage, some bravery, and address some things in our life. We're going to have to take on some challenges it may be frightening and it may be painful, it may be really hard work, but God is faithful. One of the amazing things about the Christian message is that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Whatever you're going through, whatever difficulty, whatever thing you face in life, that is not the final word spoken over you. Jesus Christ has spoken a word over you, and that word is love, and that word is life, and that word is resurrection, and that is the final word spoken over you, no matter what you go through. 
So we, that gives us the courage and that gives us the ability to take on painful and hard things. Now, today's story of Jacob wrestling, uh, wrestling the angel is one of the crucial turning points in his life. Jacob has run from trouble and bad relationships, but he can do so no longer. And if we're going to understand this story and its significance, we have to understand the context in which it occurs. Jacob is the son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham. They've been given the promise of God. He has given them the land of Canaan. They're going to be blessed. A nation is going to come through them. And then he actually says, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I'm choosing you, not because I'm going to mark you out and take you away and only bless you, but I'm going to bless you and I'm going to touch the entire world through your life. And through Abraham and his faith and Isaac and Jacob, we are standing here today. The whole, the whole, the entire earth has been blessed and will be blessed. But of course, if you look at these people, they're not perfect. If you look at these patriarchs, they're deeply flawed people. It's actually kind of sad to read the tales of some of these patriarchs. They were people who were crying out to God, who were seeking him, but they were flawed. And in Jacob's case, God had declared that even though he was the second son, he would, be, uh, he would carry the family promise. He wasn't the firstborn, but he was going to carry that promise. And from an early age, somehow Jacob was not content to rest in God's promise of provision and purpose, but he wanted to manipulate his circumstances to achieve success. First, he manipulated his older brother out of his share of the family inheritance. Then he lied to his father and conspired with his mother to get a blessing from his father that belonged rightly to his brother. His brother was so enraged and humiliated, he vowed to kill him, and Jacob had to run for his life. And it's interesting, if you read the story in a couple chapters, I think it's in 28, as Jacob's fleeing for his life, he lays down his head on a rock, and he has that famous dream, you know, Jacob's ladder, the ladder going, the stairway to heaven, you know, that talks about the, the communion God desires between heaven and earth. And Jacob says, and God tells Jacob, I'm going to bring you back here. There is unfinished business in your life. You're going to run away for now. You're alone. You're running away from your problems. You're running away from the destructive decisions you've made. But you are going to have to come back because there's unfinished business. So Jacob is alone. He has almost nothing. He goes to work with his uncle, who's someone almost as conniving and manipulative as he is. And without going into details, their relationship is fraught with both Jacob and his uncle engaging in some dubious behavior toward one another. In spite of this, God keeps blessing Jacob and reaching out to him. Jacob gets it right sometimes, gets it wrong sometimes, calls out to God, and yet still has some bad habits. And yet God is gracious to him. He gives him two wives and gives him many children. But of course, the relationship with his uncle turns sour and he flees again. And he runs away, but this time his uncle chases him down. But interestingly, the night before his uncle catches up to him, God sends the uncle a dream and says, do not touch him. God protects Jacob, even again in the midst of some of his own dysfunction. But as he's going along, he's going back home, and where we've been reading the story that we read tonight, as, as Jacob continues journeying home, he gets word that his brother is on his way to meet him with 400 men. And Jacob is frightened and distressed. 
He arranges for gifts of cattle and goods to be sent ahead as gifts to placate his brother and win his favor. But deep down in his heart, he knows that the sort of shame and humiliation that he put on his brother cannot be assuaged with gifts. He sends out his wives and his children ahead of him, maybe hoping that they would elicit some sort of compassion from his brother. But he's also anxious that they will become collateral damage from the poor choices he's made in his life in pursuit of selfish ends, or sometimes pursuing the right ends selfishly. Sometimes we're pursuing the right things the wrong way. We want love, we want relationships, we want success at work. God loves those things. Those are great things, right? But we're pursuing them the wrong way. So sometimes we're chasing the wrong ends, and sometimes we're chasing the right ends the wrong way. And this is kind of what Jacob has been doing in his life. But he sent his family over the river, and he's alone on the other side. There are no lights. He's all alone. And if you've ever been out camping in, in, the, in the country where there are no street lights, it gets so dark. And in this place of darkness, of fear and anxiety, and of just waiting, God comes to him. It's time. He has come to a point in his life where he cannot run anymore. It is time to deal with his choices and his relationships and with his God. He thinks all these other things are the issue in his life, but God comes and wrestles with him directly because his real issue is that he hasn't been trusting God to be the one who's going to provide for him and to lead him into the purposes he has for him. He's been trying to do it in his own strength, and he begins wrestling with God, and he struggles with God. And to be honest, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but the Bible tells us that in spite of all of Jacob's problems, selfishness, and dysfunctions, he starts clinging to God, and he just won't let go. He doesn't know what to do, but he knows there's no way forward unless God goes with him. He knows that he simply doesn't have the strength or resources to deal with the new challenges that lie ahead. He absolutely has to have God protect him and take care of him and deal with his relationship with his brother. And as Jacob wrestles with God and he clings to him, several things happen. Jacob is broken and relieved of the illusion that it's his strength and ability that matters. God, with a touch, dislocates his hip, and he's crippled in the fight. Jacob is left with a limp. Jacob will move forward in life, but he will no longer rely on his own strength and ability. And in this humility, God will mend his relationships and fulfill the promises that he gave to him. It's interesting, when he meets his brother, his brother just hugs it out with him. It's like a very, it's almost, it's, it's almost like a, um, what's the word, but it's anticlimactic when he arrives and sees his brother. God gives Jacob a new name that's rooted in him wrestling it out with God and him clinging to him. Jacob, you, he tells Jacob, you have clung to me, you have wrestled with me, you have drawn close to me. And interestingly, Jacob sees God's face in the midst of struggle. This is a really interesting thing. Job says the same thing. 
Job goes through all these struggles where he's hurting his children, everything's been gone, and he has this sort of struggle with God, and he has this argument with him. And at the very end, he says to God, I had heard of you, but now I have seen you. There is something that happens when we wrestle with God. We get a new vision of God. We understand him more. We draw closer. So often we want to know God more, but we run from troubled relationships, difficult situations, and challenges. But it is often in addressing and dealing with the difficulties of life, in embracing our pain and being willing to face it, that God can transform and reveal himself to us in a fresh and a new way. Is God calling you to address something in your life? Have you been running? Have you been hiding? Have you been manipulating, managing, and trying to succeed in your own strength? Is there a promise that God has given to you and you've just been hanging back? Christ sometimes calls us to rest, but sometimes he calls us to wrestle and to take hold of him, and to take hold of the things that he has for us in our lives. How is your marriage? Valerie and I have reached a stage in our lives where we have friends getting divorces, and whose, lives are, whose marriages are struggling. Do you need to address something? Is there a family relationship with a brother, sister, a parent, a child, a relative? It's interesting in Scripture, Jesus in the Gospels says that if you're the one offended, it's up to you to reconcile you should take the initiative, and if you're the offending one, you should take the initiative to reconcile. As a Christian, it's always on us to take the initiative to work through relationship. Is there a sin issue in your life that you've been allowing to fester? Again, on the positive side, is there something that God has for you, and somehow you've been afraid to move, out, move, um, to move and go for it? You're afraid of failure. You're afraid of what other people will think. But God is calling you to go for it and not to be afraid to take the challenge. It'll be hard work. And what does this mean? Sometimes I feel like as, a, as, a, as, a, as someone who preaches or teaches the Word, I come back to a lot of simple things. And when you start wrestling God, wrestling with God, it involves things like prayer. You're not going to get anywhere in your relationship with God or in any situation in your life unless you start communicating with Him, just talking to Him honestly. Be honest with where you're at. Be honest and just talk to him. The Psalms are full of these struggles and battles and complaints and anger, you know. But God meets us in that place. When, when, Joka, when, J, uh, excuse me, when Job argued with God, it was then that he began to see him. Because he drew near to him in something really authentic and sincere with the real struggles in his heart. Do you need to see a counselor? Do you need to go out for a coffee with a friend and tell them what's happening? Do you need to pray with someone else? I don't know what you need to do to begin doing this. Do you need to set aside time? I think Libby will have some more ideas as well. Do you need to set aside time this week to deal with this? Do not let this go. If there is something in your life that God wants you to wrestle with it, to wrestle with, do not be afraid to take hold of it. God is faithful, and however hard it is, 
There will be a light at the end of the tunnel and you will see God face to face.